We are in week 11 of living in a church. We're nearing the end. And today we are going to look at the topic of corporate worship and celebrating God-given unity. So one of the most beautiful aspects of God's work in saving his church is that he calls all kinds of people from all different types of walks, uh, different backgrounds, um, different preferences to his church. Uh, perhaps even today there's a few here that may even have different preferences in music, right? Some of us like Beatles, like myself. Some of us may like Bach or other types of music, all while being united to Christ. So this can make for some very interesting challenges when it comes to worship. Uh, so let me begin by just asking a question. Um, how does corporate worship affect our unity? How does corporate worship affect our unity? draws us together, all participating in the same thing, the same truths together. What are some other ways that corporate worship can affect our unity? together as a unit, focusing on one God. The center of our worship is God. So yes, but the sad reality for a lot of us today, or churches today, that are uh, there are a few subjects in the church that heat up as quickly as worship. Um, it has the potential be, to be very divisive in the church today, both in denominations and even in congregations. Um, but this isn't anything new. Actually, uh, in Jesus' day, when Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4, she invited him into this same debate uh, on worship. Should God's people, she asked, should God's people worship in Jerusalem or at the twin mountains of Gerizim or Abal in Samaria? Well, the woman asked this this controversial question, but I don't think that she was just simply trying to catch Jesus off guard or trying to avoid her spiritual condition. Uh, but Jesus responds by teaching her about what worship is. So in John 4, Jesus says this, but the hour is coming and now is here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Verse 24, God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. So what is, what is our goal this morning? Well, our goal this morning, since we cannot cover everything about worship, we would be literally have whole courses on that, um, but as we near the end of our course on life together uh, as a church and the importance of our unity, we'll consider how we can help each other toward the ultimate goal of worshiping Christ. 
So in many ways, God-glorifying worship is one of the most valuable fruits of the unity that we've been discussing. And at the same time, worship will naturally foster unity as we're focused on the same God. So we will begin by defining worship and also corporate worship. And then we'll look at some ways that corporate worship has a unique role in the life of our congregation here at UBC. So as we seek to first work towards a definition of worship, it's helpful to see that worship is a rich concept in the Bible. There's no one main Greek word that corresponds in the English uh, word worship, but there are a lot of different terms. So as we look through the New Testament in particular, it becomes clear that worship extends far beyond what goes on in a church on Sunday morning, certainly far beyond praise in the form of singing. Um, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10.31, he says this, whether you eat or you, whether you drink, do it all for the glory of God. So even in the, the, those minor things of eating and drinking, do it all for the glory of God. Or in Romans, Paul writes, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God... Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual act of worship. So Christ, he is the, the perfect lamb. He is the one sufficient sacrifice for us. So the sacrifices we offer in the new covenant, covenant are not burnt offerings like we see in the old covenant or in the Old Testament, but Submission of every aspect of our lives for the glory of God and the praise of his name. So because the language of worship is so bound up with the temple and priestly system in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, it has been radically transformed by Christ and what he's accomplished on the cross. So as we work then, how might we define Worship. Well, there are many ways to define it, and many hours have been put to pen as people have sought to define it. But we're going to stick with one today, and it is def um, this is penned by David Peterson uh, from the book Christ Centered Worship. And he says this Worship is engaging with God on the terms that He possesses and in the way that he alone makes possible. So that includes all of life in worship. Our affections, our actions, our obedience, our relationships. That includes corporate worship, our time of praising God and edifying one another. But what is the center of our worship? Well, there's a couple things that I think that should be the center. Well, worship is, first of all, God-centered. The Christian life begins when I remove myself from the center of my universe and recognize that God alone should reign there. He's the center. You can see this in Matthew 16, 24, Romans 12, 1 and 2. This should be the most obvious in worship of, at the church. So God-centered worship is a proper response to the majesty of, of God's character. A God who is worthy of praise. Worship goes 
way beyond simply knowing intellectually what God is like, but takes delight in the perfection of his attributes, of who he is. So worship that is centered on something other than God is not worship at all. It may be exciting. It may be a religious, a religious gathering. It may even be informative. But by definition, it is not worship. So God-centered worship leaves no chance for ambiguity of who you are worshiping or what the people of God have gathered to do, which is to publicly, publicly offer their sacrifices of praise to God. We see this in Hebrews 13, verse 15, where he says, Through him, which through Christ, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise, that is, the fruit of our lips, and acknowledge his name. So we strive for a growing knowledge of God and delight in him. Not a delight in worship itself or music, but a delight in God. I think one helpful place or verse or chapter to memorize would be something like Psalm 66. Uh, there's much to learn about God in his word. So don't starve yourselves, but feast on the word. Um, those who do will eat delight even more and worship him even more. So our worship is and should be God-centered. But also, worship is Christ-centered. Centered, Our worship is only possible because of Christ, because of his death and resurrection. So without Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf, we will not be able to enter God's presence and therefore not hope in the image that we have of heaven in the Bible. So we, this, we see this Christ-centered worship clearly in Revelation chapter 5. And John gives us this picture of God sitting on his throne holding the scroll that is sealed, and only one can open it, the lion of the tribe of Judah, who is also the lamb. He can open that scroll. He is the only one worthy. We see in verse 6 where he says, and he stands in the very center of the throne with God himself. So Christ is then praised as the one who was slain, who is worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. And from that point on, when he does, he is referred to or addressed as him who sits on the throne to the Lamb of God. So our worship should be Christ-centered. But also, our worship is spirit-empowered. And so before Paul teaches uh, one another to, to sing in Ephesians 5, he says to give thanks in our heart. Paul calls us to be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, it says, be, feel, be filled with the Spirit. Address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melodies to the Lord with your heart. So in other words, Paul's readers are to be transformed by the Spirit into the likeness of God and Christ. So Jesus teaches that the Spirit's ministry is one of the one that brings Jesus glory. We see this in John 16, verse 14, where he says, The Spirit, this is Jesus speaking, the Spirit will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. 
So this is the Spirit's work. So the Spirit, His ministry, brings glory to Jesus. That is His aim. His means of revealing the work and person of Jesus. So when Jesus says, taking what is mine and making it known to you, does not only mean that the Holy Spirit passes on what Jesus declares, but helps drive home the revelation bound up in the person and work of Jesus in the life of the believer. So the Spirit is the instrument who fills believers with God in Christ because he builds up the church and the temple which God dwells. You see that in Ephesians 2.22. So as Christians, we should put ourselves in the place where God's Spirit can continue to fill us being said, the Spirit helps lead to God-honoring worship, which is Spirit-enabled. So what is a biblical understanding of worship? Well, just in summary, let me look at three different things. One is that it is a proper response to God himself. Worship is something that is commanded of all. It's a natural and right reaction to the glory of God. So true worship is based on a right understanding of who God is. So first, in in understanding what is worship, it's proper response to who God is. Also, number two, it encompasses our entire lives. So it's not simply singing praises to God on Sunday. It involves both our adoration and our action. Worship doesn't end with what we say, but it includes what we do. Paul says it this way, and again in Romans 12.1, it says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual act of uh, spiritual service of worship. So all of our earthly life is done in love for one another and reliance upon God. This displays the worth of God above all things and makes us worshipers in our daily life. And lastly, uh, understanding what worship is, it delights in the beauty of God and of Christ. So it's not a delight in experience of worship, it's a delight in Christ, in God. So In our evangelical culture, worship too often refers to the emotions that we experience when we go to a service. Or perhaps, you know, we say we worship when we close our eyes and are singing to God. Getting caught up in experience rather than focusing on God. Or who is supposed to be the origin of our experience. So if we... If we worship and experience, that is an idol of our own creation, and we are not truly worshiping God. So we should instead focus our hearts and minds on God and Christ in our worship. So if worship has a lot of passion, but no genuine thought, that falls short. The converse is also true if worship is only right, only thinking right things with no affection stirred up for God, that also falls short. 
So that's some of what worship is and is not. But what about corporate worship? We think of our time together when we gather as a congregation publicly for the purpose of praising God. Well, based on what I've just described as worship, you might think that something like a church dinner or uh, could constitute corporate worship. After all, we're doing it together and for God's glory. We are eating that, you know, for his glory. <laughs> um, but clearly there's something more to corporate worship than just that, than just gathering. Fortunately, God uh, has given us guidance through Scripture about what uh, happens when a congregation gathers publicly for the purpose of worshiping God. What we see in the New Testament commands for things like the church is to pray. We see this in 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. We see that we are commanded to read Scripture publicly. We see this in 1 Timothy 4.13, which says, Until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture. Uh, Brian Chappell, in his book, Christ-Centered Worship, says, God now commands the repetition of text as the imminent as his imminent and permanent voice among his people. Thus reading the word of God becomes the very core of worship, affording each hearer the opportunity for ongoing personal encounter with the divine. In essence, scripture is God's voice incarnate for the church of all ages. So we're, we're commanded to read scripture publicly. Also, we're to listen to the preaching and teaching of, of the Word. In that second part of 1 Timothy 4, 13, he goes on to say, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, yes, but to the exhortation and to teaching. So we are to listen to the preaching and teaching of the Word. Also, we are to practice the ordinances. We see this in uh, Matthew 28, where we're commanded to baptize and also to share in the Lord's Supper. We see this in uh, 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, but also to encourage one another to praise uh, God in song. We see this in Ephesians 5, verse 19. But then also to give of our finances. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. So all these things are commanded or um, as we gather publicly for worshiping God. Every one of these things that we do together must be for the strengthening of the church. So these are things that the New Testament instructs or commands that as we gather either by command or by example. But what about other things? You might find that are going on a hike might be something that you say, oh, that just sparks a lot of worship in me. Well, it can be a great way to excite the heart and mind towards God, but what if every week we decided to, to, do, to do that instead of gathering on a Sunday morning? Well, we'd be assembling together as commanded in Hebrews 10. We'd be worshiping God, perhaps. Uh, but would it be corporate worship? It certainly wouldn't fit the normal pattern that we see in Scripture as it lays out uh, to define what a church does together 
in a unique time when we meet for worship. That's, that's for certain. This leads us to an important theme in Scripture that is worth uh, mentioning, that God has defined how we should approach him corporately, and so it is possible to offer wrong worship. Because God is infinite, all-wise, and omniscient, we are finite and sinful and self-interested in our own glory. We can't know him unless he reveals himself to us. And we can't understand what worship is. We can't understand what worship is. We will be pleasing to him unless we, he reveals it to us. And so the Bible makes clear how we should worship God, particularly when we worship him together in public. For example, uh, we can look at the second commandment. What does he say? You shall not make a false idol or a carved image. God prohibits worship through images, making clear that he alone regulates how he will be served. The consequences for this principle becomes clear when the people build uh, a golden calf in, um, and probably intended as a representation of God, but obviously this was not pleasing to the Lord. Or you might look to the example of Jesus as he rejected the worship of the Pharisees. Says they worship me in vain, and says in Mark seven seven. What did Jesus mean? They worship me in vain. He doesn't. He, he meant that the Pharisees' worship was in vain because they it didn't come from the heart. They paid attention to human regulations and tradition more than God. So they taught commandments made by man as if they were God's own word. So Scripture is clear on the ways that we are to approach him when we gather publicly. God has done this so that our worship won't be confused with other religions or gods. He does this for our good. All this to say that when we consider corporate worship, we must understand that the Bible doesn't leave us free to just improvise as we want, but it regulates the elements of worship and the content of our worship. This, of course, in terms of forms, uh, may change over time. So in one generation, we may sing a cappella. In another, today we may use a piano or guitar or um, an overhead projector to help serve that singing of the word. Um, or in one country, we may be able to sing at the top of our lungs and praise God, um, but in another, we may only be able to do you know, tear-filled whispers because of persecution that is around us. So there, the forms may change over time. One other item to note is that in corporate worship uh, is public worship. So it's a time for the entire church to gather together when outsiders are invited to come in and welcome to learn about the truth that we have learned and, and know of God. See this in 1 Corinthians 14. And through their corporate worship, a congregation pro proclaims God to the watching world. So to, to sum up corporate worship, it is a gathering publicly as a church 
to engage with God according to his instructions in Scripture. Say that again. So corporate worship is a gathering publicly as a church to engage with God according to his instruction in Scripture. One key implication of this is that at the center of our corporate worship is expositional preaching. Why? Well, because God's word in understanding what it says is the apex of engaging with God as he reveals himself to his people. So singing is, of course, a part of worship and is helpful for focusing our thoughts and emotions on God. But the exposition of God's word is the centerpiece of the church gathering, that we would know and understand him. And so, having defined corporate worship, let's move now to consider the question of how do we maintain unity in corporate worship in spite of our diversity and our personal preferences? Well, Philippians 2.2 tells us um, that as a church, we are to be, what, like-minded, having the same love, being of one spirit, and of purpose. So one thing that gives real bang to the church's witness of diversity is that the fact that different sinners from different backgrounds choose to love one another because of the power of God at work. We see uh, and have already seen in this course just how diversity um, in the church proclaims the name of God. We know that different people will find different styles of worship, whether that's... corporate worship, to be more or less emotionally and intellectually engaging. So how do we approach corporate worship when each of us has our own preferences of worship? Our likes or dislikes with regards to maybe the forms of worship or music that we like or prefer. Well, continuing in Philippians 2, we read this in verses 3 and 4 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. So we are called to submit to each other for the sake of Christ. To love each other and to serve each other in this way, we do so in many other aspects of the church. So often today, though, we encounter a strange contradiction in our worship. Corporate worship is one of the times that we're most constantly, uh, consciously focusing on God. Yet, so often our corporate worship is the aspect of church life that prompts the most selfishness, where we look to our own preferences this should not be the case. This, if we thought of corporate worship as something that involves just me and Jesus, we'll certainly uh, be disappointed if it's not our, our style. But we need to think of corporate worship as something we do together as a family or as a faith family in love for each other and for God. So how do we learn to think this way instead of focusing on our own personal preferences. Um, Well, one thing I think that can be uh, a help is approaching Sunday morning with a sense 
of our desperate need for God, our desperate need for Him. Worship is not fundamentally about me. It's about seeing and savoring God together with the community of faith that He has put me in. So we are to come hungry, to have, uh, to have our personal preference, not to come hungry to have our personal preferences met, rather to be hungry for a deeper connection to our church community in the understanding of our great God and how good he is. So here are a few thoughts that we might uh, consider. First is sacrifice. Well, corporate worship is glorifying to God because we do it together. And this involves sacrifice like so many other areas in the church. Second is growth. We need to be reminded that in love we can learn to worship uh, styles and traditions at, f- at first might seem foreign. Um, we need to learn to grow and use worship styles and traditions that might seem foreign to us and grow in appreciation for them. You're not used to seeing hymns um, and that will take time to grow and to appreciate Third, uh, being considerate, we should keep in mind the importance of not uh, doing things that would distract others from worshiping. This is something I talk often to my kids about, if you have young ones, um, that can be very distracting over time. Um, This could involve everything from kids to uh, what we wear or how we talk about uh, the songs that we are singing. So we want to be considerate. But also, fourth, we want to be honest. And it can only help our unity if we are honest about a couple of things. For one, church has a particular culture. You can't escape that. We are in America. We worship in English. So many of our hymns are American or, or English or European um, We prioritize simple accompaniment here at UBC. So we'll have uh, simple things that we can make sure we focus and are able to hear the voices that are singing out as most prominent in worship. We value songs with good words from many different centuries. So much our music sometimes may feel dated. or And it's good to be honest about that. Um, it's also good to honestly recognize that the means that some people are going to have a harder time to adjust the way that we worship and the songs that we sing. Sometimes I have to go home and look up a word that we've used in worship because I'm maybe not familiar with that word, uh, and that helps promotes growth and deep study. Um, for some, it feels comfortable, but for others, it just feels very foreign. Never worship by singing hymns or spiritual songs like we do here at UBC. Are there any questions so far? I know we've covered a lot of ground quickly, but thinking about worship or corporate worship, are there any questions so far?
Well, next, I want to move on to corporate worship as a platform for unity. So we've talked about how we can work toward unity in corporate worship. With the remainder of our time, I'd like us to discuss some ways that um, corporate worship helps our unity and our witness. So one, there on your outline, corporate worship displays our God-glorifying unity. It is a display to the unity that we have in Christ. It's wonderful when we can sit down and praise God during our devotional time, but there's something special in gathering publicly together and praising God together. Uh, Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 2.9 that one of the reasons God has brought Jew and Gentile together into the church. He says in verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse 9, you are a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into the wonderful light. This is why Jesus is so insistent that we uh, deal with areas of disunity before worship. He says in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, uh, verse 23 and 24, Therefore, if you are offering a gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave that gift there in front of the altar and go and reconcile to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Paul echoes this same teaching in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine, where he says, for anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing uh, the body, the Lord, uh, the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. Well, what does it mean that I recognize in the body of the Lord? Paul has been talking here about the Corinthians celebrating the Lord's Supper in disunity. So unity must be present if we are to offer a pleasing sacrifice of praise to God. And when unity is present, corporate worship is a beautiful thing, an outpouring of God's glory. So then we should regularly, not just in preparation of the Lord's Supper, examine ourselves as we come to worship, examine our relationships uh, with each other as well as with God. And second, we can, we can help to worship uh, we can help each others to each other to worship. So one of the great advantages of having um, we have as we worship together is that we can help each other grasp the grasp the glories or in the glories and the beauty of our God, and help each other express our response in joyful praise and thanksgiving. So corporate worship provides a platform on which we can serve one another. This happens in the structure of our service as we bring musicians together to help sing. As men who have studied hard uh, or as they prep for teaching or preaching of the word, to prepare a message. Um, and our voices and expressions encourage each other throughout the service as well. So the author of Hebrews tells us to consider how we can spur one another towards love and good deeds, Hebrews 10.24. That certainly helps each other in our worship. So now, 
aside from what I just mentioned, what are some ways in which we can help each other worship when we gather together as a congregation? How do you help others worship? Positive peer pressure, when we are focusing on God or Christ and growing in Him, that it's kind of that positive peer pressure as we share about what God is doing. God uses us to communicate and encourage Him in that way. Focusing on each element as it comes, focusing on what God is doing, not seeing prayer as an opportunity to go to the bathroom <laughs> or, you know, as an as a transition, but there's a purpose in that. Hmm. Yeah. It's just yeah, you have to show up. Yeah. Corporate gathering together means together in one assembly. So you have to show up. Yeah, yeah, that countenance of worship. You want to be there. It's not something that you're dreading to do. You you want to be there to participate and to uh, be a part of that worship. All all good things. So, some some other ways to consider. Of how we help others worship, we could do this by reading the text that we're going to go over that week with another member. Uh, We can sing loudly and joyfully. Um, I can't tell you how encouraging it is to be in a section on a Sunday morning and to hear your brothers and sisters singing out their praise to God. And to be able to look around and see someone who you know has had a horrible week, but be encouraged by their faith to be there, uh, but also to sing aloud and praise God, even in the midst of potentially suffering or or hard times. So that can certainly um, help. Um, As we consider other things, we can discuss 
the sermon and the service as a whole after the church. We do this in life groups. Um, we can welcome those around us that maybe are unfamiliar, that we've not met yet. Uh, we can do something as simple as turning off our phone so that we can truly focus and not distract others by uh, it going off during the service. All those are, are good things to consider. The third of corporate worship is an opportunity uh, for us to edify each other. You might be surprised to discover that Scripture, discover in Scripture that God isn't the only one who address who only one who we address during times of corporate worship. Paul gives us an example in Ephesians. He said, "Speak." to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your hearts to the Lord. So when we sing on Sunday morning, we read scripture, we pray, we're communicating not only to God, but to one another. And why is that important? Well, part of the reason that's important is because we need reminders. Uh, We need reminders of the truth in scripture. We need reminders that God created us. We need reminders that he is just and perfect. We need reminders that we have sinned against him, but that Jesus died as the substitute for us. We need constant reminders as we gather on Sunday morning of who we are, but more importantly, who God is and what he has done. So let me share just a few suggestions, particularly in the area of singing, of how we can uh, use our songs to edify one another. Well, first we can meditate on the words that we sing. Think about not only how those truths apply to you, but also to others in the church. Maybe you, as you sing a song, you can share with someone how God used that song to, to strengthen your faith. Look around. We've talked about this already. Look around from time to time. Be encouraged by your brothers and sisters who are singing alongside of you. Uh, We can sing aloud so that we can hear one another and strive to sing a part of the whole. So even if you're not musical or maybe you would say, I don't have a good voice, we can still seek to sing and be a part of, of that worship together. So finally, corporate worship offers us a taste of what heaven will be like. Heaven is the place where the full community of God will dwell with him forever, praising his name and delighting in his glory. So corporate worship then is a snapshot of that experience that we can anticipate in the life, in this life. The author of Hebrew paints a beautiful picture in Hebrews chapter 12 when he says this. He says, but you have come to Mount Zion to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels joyfully, joyful in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the meditator, Uh, the mediator of a new covenant. And so when we come together in worship on Sunday morning, we catch a glimpse of this glory. No, that was one of the 
things as we first gathered, um, one of our first few Sundays here at UBC, is just the singing was so encouraging. I can remember uh, even being in a, a, this was not a, a church, but a large corporate gathering where I gathered and came into an arena and heard people singing a hymn and praise to God. And it just was powerful. And when we are able to, to be a part and to hear a congregation singing aloud praises to God. So when we gather for, uh, when we come together and worship on Sunday morning, we catch a glimpse of what uh, the writer of Hebrews is speaking about. That's when the heaven feels most real and we esteem the things of God most valuable. So we need this picture that corporate worship paints of heaven because despite this broken world, heaven is our true home. And in heaven, we will be perfectly united with Christ. So the unity that we experience while worshiping corporately in this life points forward to our future home that we will one day know with Christ. All right. Well, let me pray for us as we wrap up our time of together. God, we praise you because you alone are worthy of praise. And we give thanks to you because you have not left us on our own to figure out how to worship you. But God, you have given us your word and guided us on how to worship you rightly. God, we pray that as we uh, head to our time of corporate worship, God, that your spirit would empower us to not only hear your word through the reading of it, through the singing of truths, and through the preaching of your word, but God, that your spirit would enable us to apply those truths to our lives, God, for your glory. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.